0: Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. And, man, we are going to start things off with a op-ed that is going to blow your mind. And I know that because it blew my mind. I read this thing, and I was like, like my head just, what? What is going on here? There was an op-ed in Bloomberg by Ramesh Panuru, who I actually had on my radio show uh, five, seven, eight years ago Somewhere along those lines And he wrote this op-ed Talking about the 2008 housing crash And conventional wisdom just gone out. I'm motioning You can't see, it's a podcast I'm motioning, it's it's out the window I'm throwing it out the window It's nuts It Like I said, it, it blew my mind It blew my mind So like I said, he wrote this over at Bloomberg And he not only is countering the argument that we're currently in a housing bubble, which isn't that crazy. We've talked about that a lot here on the program, but he says that the housing bubble did not cause the 2008 economic collapse, which poof, was like your mind's being blown right now. I know, right? Like, that's what we've been told that that's what caused the economic collapse. Of course there was housing. It was all of these things. So conventional wisdom with regards to the great recession is loose lending standards, aka subprime loans, incentivized investors to retarget capital towards housing, which led to an explosion in home building. But when the subprime loans began to default, the increased home building led to a housing glut, which turned a correction into an absolute collapse. That's kind of the way we're looking at it, right? We had all these houses, no one to live in them, occupancy rates had fallen, and boom. Housing prices collapsed, mortgage-backed securities collapsed all of these banks that had used mortgage-backed securities to make money on or were using its collateral they all started collapsing and we had to bail them out. That's the conventional wisdom when it comes to 2008. Well Panuru argues there's more to the story and he points to a new book from Kevin Erdman called Building from the Ground Up. Now I'm gonna get this book it comes out. It came out today, came out January the 11th, and I'm actually going to get this book. I'm going to read it. And if I like what it says, which it sounds like I'm going to, I'm going to try and get him on the podcast. That is my goal here. So what does his book say? Erdman argues that spending on housing didn't grow any faster than spending on other consumption goods during the boom or the preceding decade. So he's saying, listen, everyone makes a big deal about what was happening with housing when in reality, we were spending just as much money on all the other products and we're not blaming any other product on 2008. So the notion that the price increases of 2000 to 2007 were unsustainable doesn't match the experience of other countries as well. There were other places that we'd also seen housing skyrocketing, and they didn't have anywhere near the problems that we did. Erdman notes that in some markets, home prices did rise too quick, but those spikes were a function of too little home building, not too much. That's important because there's a lot of just confusion about what causes housing prices to go up. And I'm not kidding you. When I was on the radio, I had people all the time who believed that the reason that home prices were going up in value is because we were building too much and that was causing people to move to the area <laughs> because that's it's like the field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come. Like if we stop building, no one's going to come to Wilmington, North Carolina. People actually think that. And so. Sometimes people do think that home building actually causes home prices to go up. I know it's completely outside of any thought process that involves any kind of economics 101, which, of course, is supply goes up. Prices go down. So we've stated that, okay, it wasn't housing. So what caused the crash? Because something caused the crash. Well, Panuru explains that the Federal Reserve aired from late 2007 onward by failing to loosen monetary policy enough after initial signs of economic weakness sending tightening signals to markets as the crisis developed. Erdman also notes that the Fed erred in misdiagnosing housing as the main culprit in the economic collapse. And Panubra writes that this misdiagnosis could still be happening today. And it's possible that insufficient supply was and still is a bigger problem than excessive demand, which if you think about it, one of the big arguments that we're hearing right now is that there's too much demand for housing. Money is too cheap. And let's face it, we could, You know, Powell testified on Tuesday in front of the Senate banking and said, you know, rates will probably go up. They're going to reduce their balance sheet. And there's no doubt that a reduction in demand would not be a horrible thing. And it's probably being propped up somewhat artificially by low rates. But we also know that there's a huge demand for housing out there, regardless of where rates are. I mean, we're seeing purchases. In fact, there was a great there's some research that was done recently uh, by Altos Insights. And they said that we're about to experience another boom with regards to housing, uh, kind of what we saw a couple months ago, or I should say probably five or six months ago, with regards to people fighting over homes, bidding wars. Those are coming back. That's what their data is showing them. But here's the thing. Rates are moving up. They, They have been moving up. We're now seeing rates the highest level they've been in 20 months, and we're st- and they're predicting bidding wars, which tells me that, sure, rates help increase demand, but a lot of this is there naturally. And as we've talked about many a times in this podcast, we have underdeveloped for decades, decades. And even if the Fed, now, sure, if the Fed were to raise rates to 10%, we might see a big decrease in demand for housing, no doubt about that. But even if we normalize rates four five percent, sure, that would have a big impact on prices, but people would still want houses. There is no doubt about that. And so what they're saying is we focus way too much on the demand side and never discuss the supply side, which is why we have been so underdeveloped for so long. And what's fascinating about this is, I mean, for 14 years, it's been ingrained in our heads that we just built too much before the crash, and that ended up exacerbating the collapse instead of helping. However, as we now are all keenly aware, we have been underbuilding for decades. And Panuru finally answers the big question many have had this last year If we've been underbuilding for decades, how could we have been overbuilding in 2008? And he's arguing we weren't that what happened was is that we, we should have seen some correction when we saw houses starting to default, but the Fed, instead of loosening like they do when things start getting a little worried in credit markets, they tightened. And then that caused a sort of wave throughout credit markets, which turned something that should have been probably a correction into a collapse. And just, pff, my mind is blown. I mean, this just goes so outside conventional thinking when it comes to 2008. I'm not saying it's right, I've read the book, I'm going to get the book. I'm going to read it. And then I might, I'm I'm going to try and get the guy on the show. We'll see if he will come on the markets and mortgages podcast. I hope he does. It'd be very fascinating. I'd be very fascinated uh, based on what I've seen from Panuru. I can't wait to read Kevin Erdman's book, which by the way, once again is building from the ground up. Now, speaking of mind blowing things, let's just keep that ball rolling. This is an insane statistic that I saw the other day out of California. This is just, it's not as insane as the idea that housing didn't cause 2008 because that's just so ingrained in all of our heads. This is pretty nuts. So this is out of California. The Mercury News, who is reporting on SB9, which is legislation which has been moved forward, which is supposed to encourage and increase building, a.k.a. increasing inventory, to help create more affordable housing. There's a huge affordable housing problem in California, all over California, and they're trying to do something, and SB9 is the way they're going to solve this. So this particular measure would allow a developer to replace an aging single-family home on a large lot with three new houses in an accessory unit. And this is where things get interesting. So here's why California is doing this. So they point out that the purpose of this is geared toward house rich, but cash poor homeowners who would reap a windfall by developing their property. And then here's the stat that is mind blowing. Nearly two in five Los Angeles residents own homes worth more than a million dollars, but earn less than 99000 <laughs> So you have people who are making five figures a year living in a seven-figure house. Insanity. I mean, we're talking about almost 40% of residents in Los Angeles own a home that should probably, for the most part, I mean, obviously, this, is, this number is gonna vary, but if you were to buy a home, put 20% down, it was a million-dollar home, it would cost you $12,000 a month to live in a million-dollar home. You know, you got the mortgage payment, you got taxes, you got insurance, you got everything that's involved. $12,000 is what you're gonna have to spend a month to live in a million-dollar home, and you have people who are making less than $8,000 a month <laughs> Do you see the problem? <laughs> it's, you have people who are living in a home that should be costing them 50% more than they make a month just to live in it. That's not $12,000 that we need to be making. That's what you need to make to be able to live and just pay to live in a million-dollar home. That's a big problem. Now, this, of course, can happen in California because property taxes are fixed to whenever you bought your home. So you bought your home in Cali in the nineteen eighties. You are probably close to paying it off right now. So you don't have a mortgage. Your property taxes are very reasonable. And so here is the problem: you not only have no reason to move, you have a disincentive to move. And there was a great—I saw this on Twitter, and there was a guy, Jeff Butler, just regular guy on Twitter. He's not like some big economist or anything. He had a great point. He said, "I am not going to lie. If I had a million in equity," I might be hesitant to support policies that would bring the cost of housing down, and I thought this was a great, but in fun and you know a very unfortunate point. Because think about it: if you're a middle-class Californian and you have a million dollars tied up in your home, you a hundred percent don't want housing prices to drop. I mean, for all I know, these this, for the majority of these people, this is their nest egg, this is their retirement. You don't want prices to drop. And so all these decades, California has been embracing these policies who have been supported by these NIMBYs, these not-in-my-backyard advocates, and what they've done, they've created more NIMBYs and less affordable housing. So now all you've done is magnify a group, or I should say by magnifying a group, you've actually now multiplied that group, and you haven't created any more affordable housing. And so I'm glad that California is finally trying to fix this problem, but this should be a cautionary tale for all the other states out there. Just say no to (laughs) NIMBYs. I mean, this is is the end result. And so now they're trying to fix it, and people are up in arms, and it's a massive problem because, I mean, I see it from both ways, right? I mean, if you're someone who's got all their money tied up in their house and you want to sell it for maximum profit, yeah, you don't want people... Diminishing your land value. You don't want to see these multifamily homes come in. You don't want to see all of these changes because you want to get the maximum money out of your house so you can leave California and move to, I don't know, like Utah or somewhere. Not Arizona. The Arizona prices are even worse so they're getting there. Uh, I don't know where you go. You go somewhere where 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 it's cheaper. You come there with a million bucks, and so I mean this is a cautionary tale, but that's just nuts. Four, almost 40% of people in Los Angeles live in a home worth more than a million dollars and they make five figures. Like I said, best case scenario is they are only 50. Their income is only 50% of what it should cost to live in a million dollar home. <laughs> that's, that's not sustainable. That is not. Um, now we did get some data yesterday. Some, now, I guess there's not a lot of data coming out. Um, I think everyone's getting ready for the big CPI drop that's going to be happening today. The Consumer Price Index. Ooh, that's that's going to be a fun number. What's it projected? 7% somewhere along those lines. So the data we did get was on delinquency. Speaking of, well, I guess this isn't NIMBY, so I don't know who these people were. These are just... Crash bros. I love I love that phrase. That's what they were called. These are the people who thought the housing market was going to collapse because of all these delinquencies. Uh, new, late, new data from CoreLogic says the delinquency rate fell 10 basis points in October to 3.8%. It is now down 2.3 percentage points when we were compared to one year ago. This is data all the way back. It takes a while to compile this. So this is all the way back in October of 2021. So we've seen delinquency rates just plummet from where they were and it's just more proof as kevin drum said about the end of the eviction moratorium that this big fear of a housing crash really turned out to be a nothing burger i mean everyone's like oh man there's once these forbearance programs end and once these moratoriums end man we're gonna see just the housing market crash it's like i mean you could anyone that said that should not be allowed to speak for like i don't know at least a couple years I mean, because it wasn't even like they were just wrong. Like, oh, well, you know, we had a slight correction, but there was no crash. Or, well, everything kind of stayed around the same. No, we saw a housing boom. Like, they were so wrong. The exact, I mean, 180 degrees is how wrong they were. The exact opposite happened. It's just crazy. And some people are still like, oh, no, no, here, here, here it comes. Now it's coming. Now here it is. And it's just they're just going to keep predicting it and predicting it. Because remember, the last crash that we had was or maybe it wasn't based on housing, as Ramesh Panuru wrote about. (laughs) So everyone's just waiting for the next crash to happen. Uh, Also, uh, we had Jerome Powell testifying in front of the Senate. It was pretty great because. uh, Well, I like Jerome Powell, I think he did a pretty good job. And there was a great moment when Elizabeth Warren was was trying to. I don't know, what would you call it, outflank him, was trying to embarrass him, was like, let's talk economics 101. And then he actually like trounced her, like the stat that she was applying. So uh, real quick here, she was arguing is that, oh, when you see companies concentrated, when you have so few companies, it leads to prices going up. And Jerome Powell was like, well, no, actually that's not true. And in fact, it's not. I mean, there's a ton of data out there that shows that when Walmart goes into a community, and it puts other like general stores out of business. The prices remain low. they drop and then stay low. They don't go back up because this argument always is, "Oh well, the monopoly argument well they go in there they they outbid their competitor, they go out of business, and then they jack prices up. We're still waiting for that to ever ever happen. It never happens. They go in all these communities, the prices drop, and then they stay low, and they never go back up. and she's like, "Oh, well, if a monopoly situation and Powell's like, well, yeah." In a monopoly situation, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about concentrated um, companies. You're not talking about one. We're not talking about one company. We're talking about like two or three instead of seven. And in those cases, you can actually see a somewhat economies of scale argument where they're more efficient and you have fewer waste. And uh, it's it's so weird because you have people like Elizabeth Warren, who's on the Democratic Party, and she argues we need more competition. Then you got people like Bernie Sanders who said, like, well, the reason prices are so expensive is because we have 20 deodorants. Like, if we only had two deodorants, things would be better off. So, like, what's what's the happy medium there? Do we have, like, 20 deodorants? Or we only have three deodorants, but 20 companies make them? (laughs) Like, they also, like, if you only want a few options, you're only going to have a few companies. But Elizabeth Warren wants there to be many companies, and Bernie Sanders wants there to be fewer options. So I guess we meet in the middle, we have, like, three deodorants, and 20 companies make them. I guess that's that's kind of where we go all right we, speaking of going <laughs> we got to go we got to go i am out of time and i know i could go on forever it's a podcast there's there's no time limit there's no commercial break but i don't want to bore you guys all morning especially because we got a lot to talk about tomorrow we got the inflation data coming out and oh man that's i'm sure that's gonna be fun when that number comes out estimates are seven percent Year over year is what we are looking at for inflation. We'll be talking about it tomorrow. We also got some mortgage data coming out as well that will be less, um, that won't be above the fold, is all I'm going to say there. So we'll talk about inflation data, mortgage data on tomorrow's podcast. You guys enjoy your Wednesday. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.